have talked about religion and politics. I have not talked about the Great Pumpkin yet. <laughs> we have to do a series around that one, Mark. <laughs> I'd like to put in my plug for next Sunday, the Outreach Ministries Festival. We, uh, once a year, at least once a year, we want to help you think through what we do as a church. Um, so you'll get information on missions and benevolence and food bank and a variety of other things. We're going to have um, stories of impact in four areas with, uh, so you can see the impact of what we do. How many of you here have been involved in, say, food bank? Let me just see. Okay. How about uh, benevolence? Okay. How many have gone to Haiti? All right. So, so most, the majority of you have been involved in some activity where we move beyond ourselves and do something outside. So this is a great time to hear about it. It'll be a fun Sunday. And besides, when I first came, uh, many of you talked to me about wanting to get the two services together because you didn't know each other as a church. And so three or four times a year, we're shooting for a big party. And that's an opportunity to have a party. We're all going to be together at one time in a potluck. We'll do it again at the end of the year like last year. So I just want to uh, encourage you to be here next week, 9 o'clock. What time? 9 o'clock, right. If you come in, well, you're the later crowd. If you come at uh, 10, you're going to miss most of it. You'll be here for the food bank. <laughs> okay, this Sunday we're finishing up a series on a lavish faith. Lavish is the idea of overflowing, generosity. It's just something that oozes out. It multiplies. Lavish means that it's an abundance. And a lavish faith involves generosity. And today we're going to hopefully connect the dots, but let me first remind us where we've come from. We tried to create a journey. So the very first Sunday we talked about what are we created for? Ownership, the idea of ownership. And God created this wonderful place that we live, the earth, and it's an act of generosity. How many of you enjoy creation? Let me see. In fact, let me just ask a question in reverse. How many of you don't enjoy it? If not, you can move to Texas or Kansas or been in both those places. No offense to those from Texas or Kansas. Sorry. I'm sorry if you have to live there. <laughs> but this creation was given to us by the Lord to enjoy, to take advantage of, to watch over, to serve, not worship, but serve, to care for, to protect. We've talked about that two or three times in the last year and a half, haven't we? It's a sign, it's a symbol of how deep God's love for us, that he would make us the pinnacle of creation and then give us this incredible creation, not just this, but as far as we can see out into space for our enjoyment. What a great thing. We also talked there about the two parables in Matthew about the pearl of great price. Remember that? Pearl of great price and the uh, treasure healed, hidden in the field. Two things are common on those parables. One is the treasure of the pearl, you couldn't even calculate the value of it. That's how priceless it is. And the second thing is that the person that found it was willing to give up everything to acquire it. And I asked the question, are you willing to give up everything? When you, uh, when you entered into the kingdom, when you met the Lord Jesus and you believed in him, you acquired that pearl of great price. So are you willing to give up everything for that? We're going to come back to that. Then we went to, uh, so what's the problem? I mean, we're all pretty blessed, right? The Lord has blessed us immensely. So what's the problem? The problem is uh, greed. 
grief. Every one of us has grief. Every single person here has grief. The only question is, is do you control that grief or does it control you? And I challenge you on that week to just take some time and ask the question. I don't know the answer to you. I only know the answer to me. Um, when is enough enough? When do you have enough and anything beyond that you don't need? Remember that? I see you as a very generous congregation. But I don't know what happens under the surface with a lot of you. So that's a question for you to ponder. And I would still encourage you to ask that. And then we went from there to talking about Galatians 5 and freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, I don't know where all of you fall on the question of election, predestination, free will, all of that. That's a, that's a fun debate to have within the church. I can tell you this for com with confidence. On the day that you received the Spirit, the day that you believed in the Lord, you were given free will. At least from that point on, you can choose to become what you want to become. You can choose what type of person you want to be. You can choose what your character is going to look like. You can choose to be generous, stingy, greedy. It's your choice. From that time on, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. What a great thing that God has given us choice, isn't it? Is there any better way to honor us than to give us the choice? And yet the Bible from beginning to end is full of this idea that God loves to give us choice. Help us when we make bad choices. Encourage us when we make good choices. I think that's the heart of grace, if you want to know the truth, is giving people freedom. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's very hard to let your children fail, isn't it? Boy, I hate that. And yet that's part of grace because that's where they learn. By the way, as staff and elders, it's the same thing. Grace, let you choose and let you fail. I hate that. But then to come alongside and say, how can we help? What can we do? Because maybe you've learned something. So freedom is a wonderful thing. That's at the heart of grace. You now have the freedom, and that is the pathway to true spirituality, is making choices. Every step of the way, every choice you make takes you down a road, one road or the other. And that's your choice. Last week, we looked at the kinsman redeemer out of Ruth and the whole idea of redemption and that, that the way we live redemptively in each other's lives is a secret behind healthy community. If you come to a person in our congregation and you're in trouble, and that person has the ability to help you, and they choose not to, disunity is the result. Hurt. If, on the other hand, you come to a person in our congregation that has the ability to help you and they choose to help you, unity is a natural byproduct. Thankfulness. That's what happens. In a couple weeks, we're going to move into Philippians. We're going to see that very strongly. Count one another as more important than yourself. That is the pathway to healthy community. If we have that attitude of, of serving and putting each other first. We saw that with Ruth and how personal and family oriented it is to move into each other's lives. Today we're going to look at what I consider to be, if not the core, it's in perhaps a triad of core. It's the core principle of joy. What does it mean to have a joyful Christian life? And it's going to lie with the idea of generosity. 
I'll say right up front, if you are generous, you will begin to experience joy. If you are not, you will not. You may experience momentary happiness, but not the deep joy that the Lord talks about. If you are generous, you will experience joy. So, one of the things I'm going to begin asking you, right up front, I'd like to invite you. You'll hear me ask this a couple times this morning. I'm going to invite you into some exercises that um, I think are healthy. Nancy and I do them. Is to pause regularly and ask several questions. Do I have enough? If you have enough to live on, praise God. If you have more than enough to live on, praise Him even more. Do you have enough? When is enough enough? Figure out that line. Because the world is going to convince you you never have enough. That's what the world is going to tell you, isn't it? That you never have enough. And yet, I believe we do. So when is enough enough? Another question is, Lord, am I being too greedy? Am I being too greedy? Am I being too materialistic? Am I holding on to more things than I should? There's no line. There's no definition of what that is. That's a heart condition. I can't answer it for you. I can only answer it for me. I just want you to ask the question because I have confidence in the Holy Spirit that he will help you with those questions. Today we're going to look at this. The solution, where we end up, is generosity. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9. So if you want to follow along, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9. This is the preeminent passage, I think, on generosity, but it's in a broader context, okay? Paul had just encouraged these uh, Corinthian believers to follow through on their commitment and to give and not embarrass themselves. Listen to the first five verses. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians. It's like when I tell my friends around the country what a great church you are. I'm boasting about you, right? Same idea. He's boasting to, to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year in Achaia, uh, you in Achaia were ready to give. Now, you got to remember the people that he's talking about here that are ready to give, these are very poor people. This is a very poor part of the world that we're talking about here. So these are very poor people. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Have you ever thought about you living out your faith spurs others on to obedience and action? That's what happens. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said, you would be. So apparently he's going to send Guido to help them. Remember the gift he promised? No, he's going to send people to remind them because he recognizes all of us are human and these people might be tempted to lessen their gift, to not give as much or not give at all. It's one thing to make a promise or a commitment. It's another thing to follow through on it. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. It's like this. I tell my friends around the country how wonderful you are as a congregation. So I have many friends that are just slowly streaming through here. And uh, what would it be like if they came here and said, that congregation wasn't very friendly. I don't, where'd you get that idea, Jim? That would be embarrassing. But you live up to it. 
That's what he's talking about here. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Now he introduces, he begins to introduce the whole heart concept, which we're going to move into. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. If you give it grudgingly, I don't care how much it is, it is not generous. Generosity is a function of the heart, not a function of the dollar amount. So you could give the biggest gift possible, but you give it grudgingly, that is not generosity. So let's start with that. Generosity flows out of our love for the Lord. So now he turns to the core principle of a joyful life, and that is generosity, generous giving. In this section coming up, he's going to point out two principles, very important principles. The first one is that God blesses generosity. So let's just read these next few verses together. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is the principle that overlays the whole passage. You give a little, you get a little back. You give a lot, you get a lot back. I'm not a farmer. I've never had very much to do with agriculture. But it makes sense to me if you plant a little tiny bit of seed, you can get a little tiny crop. You plant much more seed, you get a much bigger crop. That makes sense. So he's using an agricultural metaphor to communicate the, the core truth about generosity. You give a little, you get a little back. You give a lot, you get a lot back. And then he goes on and begins to flesh it out. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who's that? <clears throat> who? Yeah, who supplies seed to the sower? God. Let's say it together. God, right? So God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply, what's the next word? And multiply. It doesn't say he might do it. it. doesn't say he might do it. It says he will do it. He will supply and multiply your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. <clears throat> now, this would be prosperity gospel if we stopped only at verse 8. Prosperity gospel, which I do not hold to, I believe it's heretical, I believe it's wrong, is that if you give, God will make you rich. If you have enough faith, God will give, make you rich. I do not buy it. I've seen examples in Mozambique where... Uh, of this prosperity gospel, where a young family, uh, I mean, a very, very poor family has a property. It's all they have to their name. It's the only way they have to feed themselves. And they'll go to a church, and they will be told, if you give that property to the Lord, he'll make you rich. I've seen it firsthand. They give it to the Lord. Now they have nothing. Pastors have a lot. 
That's heresy. That's wrong. That's sinful. If we stopped in verse 8, that would be prosperity gospel. But he goes on, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and multiply your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. There's the secret. You give a lot, you get a lot back. Why? So you can give it away. It is a true principle that you can never outgive the Lord. You stop it, he stops it. We're going to see that this is very consistent. So God, Paul goes on to reveal that God does bless, in fact, blesses us and multiplies our generosity specifically so we can give more. I think the key that unlocks this little section are two key ideas. One is the cheerful attitude of the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. He's not interested in transaction giving. You know, I give because I'm faithful. Good for you. I don't think that's what he's after. He's not interested in giving with a grudging heart. He's certainly not interested in tithing. Let me say right from the front, I do not hold to tithing. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> You've heard me use the Old Testament as a model to grasp the New Testament through spiritual reality. Let me tell you what a tithe was, and then you tell me if you actually give a tithe. A tithe, you know what that means, by the way? What does it mean? 10%. Okay? 10%. Here's how they calculated the tithe according to the Old Testament. They, they, they added up everything they owned their entire asset, all the assets that they had, sheep, goats, servants, houses. What does that look like today? Cars, boats, ski passes, everything that we own, right? And then they calculated 10% on that. It wasn't on their income in any one given year. It was on their gross, gross worth, everything they owned. Then they were required to give three of them, two every year, and one every third year. So that averages out to 23 and a third percentage of everything they owned every year. So what's your car worth? 20,000? Okay, then you have to give 23 and a third percent of that. What's your house worth? House, house worth? 500,000? Okay, give 23 and a third percent of that. That's what a tithe was. That's why the tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament. That's the Old Testament practice. What's the New Testament practice? All of it. It's even worse. <laughs> All of it. He went and sold everything he had to acquire the pearl of great price. All of it. Now we're back to the fact that the Lord owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The people on the earth, Psalm 24 says. The earth is the Lord's. It's far worse you got to give it all. What he's interested in is generosity. That's an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart rooted in your deep love for the Lord. And we'll come back to that. He's interested in cheerfulness. When is the last time you wrote a check, went online, made a credit card payment to a, an organization, a Christian organization, you gave somebody cash where you just stopped and smiled? It's not a transaction. It's not a tithe. No, no, this is a product of a cheerful heart. Why on earth would you be cheerful? 
Because we serve the one true living God and he takes care of us. We'll come back to that. The second key, aside from the cheerful attitude, is a sacrificial attitude of the heart. He's not interested in you giving out of convenience. He's not. I don't think he's interested in you giving because you were reminded. By the way, that's what we do when we cast the baskets. If I had my way, we wouldn't do that. I'd let you forget and have, let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life. But I'm not one of the elders. So we pass. Now I'm being tongue-in-cheek. For many of you, that represents an opportunity. But for those of you that it's a reminder, shame. Don't let us pass the basket be your reminder to give. I'm not interested in your 10 bucks. Keep it. I'm interested in your generosity. Sacrificial heart. He's not interested in you being reminded. He's not interested in you giving because I give a good sermon or because there's a good need presented. Because you just feel the moment. No, no, no. It's just the opposite. He's interested in you deciding ahead of time how much you want to give. Look at the language. Verse 6. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. Some of your translations appropriately say decided ahead of time because this word is to decide ahead of time. That's what it means. You decide before you come to church what you want to give. Each one of you should should give uh, based on what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or in a compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to think ahead of time. Why? Because we serve a faithful God. And he promises to take care of you. Then he does something really wonderful. He quotes verse 9 in Psalm 112. I'm going to read Psalm 112 to you. Because it's a psalm about generosity. <clears throat> psalm 112. Praise the Lord. What a great place to start. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. Their generation, the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. For even in darkness, light dawns upon the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. So light dawns on those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. God will come, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great word? Now remember the Lord is the one saying this. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Okay, pause for a second. Righteous and righteousness. Technical terms all throughout the Bible. We throw it around. What does it mean? What does righteousness mean? Let me give you a very simple definition. Righteousness is putting to rights what is wrong. Righteousness is putting to rights what is wrong. God demonstrates his righteousness in your life through redemption. He begins to put to rights what is wrong with you. You live out your righteousness in the lives of others by putting to rights what is wrong. Verse 6, surely the righteous will never be shaken, for they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And this is Lord, all capital letters, referring to the one true living God. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in this one true living God. 
We believe in this God, don't we? We do. Do we believe? Do you believe in this one true living God? Boy, it's hard in a broken world, isn't it? It's hard when all of the, all, everything around us is telling us not to trust Him. Their hearts are secure and they will have no fear. Isn't that wonderful? Because they trust in the one true God. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have scattered their gifts abroad to the poor. There it is. Paul quotes this. They have scattered their gifts abroad to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked, on the other hand, will see and be vexed. I love it. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The unbelieving world will never say these principles. They'll never tell you that. Do you believe the principles of the media and the world around you, culture? You're going to come to the opposite conclusion. You deserve it. You've earned it. You're special. You're worthy. Buy another car. Buy a bigger one. Buy a bigger house. Only Christianity says... God promises to care for you. You have nothing to worry about. Therefore, you can give it away. You could be a blessing to others. That is a uniqueness of our religion. You can be a blessing to others. The longings of the wicked, this is how it concludes, will come to nothing. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. The entire psalm ties righteousness to those who are generous. It's connected. Your righteousness is lived out based on your generosity because that's the way in our world we often help people through financial giving and through our time. As we are generous people, we begin to put to rights what is wrong, the unfairness, the injustice of the world, the brokenness and hurt of people, the woundedness of those who are going through tragedy. We move into their lives. Sometimes we give them money. Sometimes we give them our love and our prayers. Sometimes we just go clean up something at their house. I don't know what it is. Sometimes we just go and paint something. If we are generous, that righteousness just flows. Our righteousness is lived out in our generosity. But then Paul does kind of a literary trick back here. He replaces, in back in uh, 2 Corinthians, the they with he. Now, my translation still says they have scattered abroad in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Many of yours probably says he. It is he in the Greek. It's kind of a little uh, tongue-in-cheek here, a little double entendre, because it's emphasizing the individual. Each of you should scatter your gifts, gifts to the poor. But he's talking about God. The whole context is on God. And he's, he's switching it around and saying, this represents God. God scatters his gifts to the poor. By the way, you are part of that scattering. You're part of those gifts. That's you. God blesses you so that you can bless others. This shows that our generosity reflects God's generosity. God blesses us so we can be a blessing to others. The reference to righteousness <clears throat> that reflects God's love and kindness. Remember we talked about this last week, loving kindness, when you move into the lives of people? You're demonstrating love to them, kindness. That's the core motivation all throughout the Bible of why God moves to us. His loving kindness, his deep and passionate love for us. 
What that means is you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. He is and forever will be faithful. He is and forever will be faithful to you. You can relax. This is one of those places where we have already tasted the new creation. We don't have to wait till heaven. He is and always will be faithful to care for you. It doesn't matter which party's in office. It doesn't matter how much they take away. It doesn't matter. If they stripped everything from you, he is and always will be faithful. He does and always will love you. That's a promise. You can count on it. Numerous times in scripture. Numerous times. That becomes the basis for our generosity. Then you look at the second part, starting in verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Isn't that wonderful? The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. How many in here have been the recipient of someone else's generosity? Let me see your hands. Okay. Did that produce thanksgiving in your heart? Did it cause you to smile and relax, feel a little bit more safe and secure? And you begin to thank the Lord for that? You see how that works? Generosity is one of these cyclical things that, that pays dividends over and over and over again. I help you, and you experience thankfulness. Isn't that great? It means you feel more committed to serving the Lord. You want to stand up and do what's right. There it is. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience Ooh, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. In the context, what is the expression of your belief in the gospel? Your financial giving. When unbelievers come in, and I pray they do, maybe they're on a search for Jesus, maybe they're trying to figure all this out, when they're here in our midst, and they thank the Lord, no, they don't thank the Lord. They're looking. When they look at you, here's what I hope they see. Smiles. Cheerful heart. You can't wait to put something in there. Not grudging. They look around and say, why are these people so cheerful about giving? What is that? What's that about? And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is God's indescribable gift? It's a good time to say Jesus. And much more than that. There it is. Here it is. Community is an indescribable gift. Christ is an indescribable gift. Generosity supplies the needs of the poor. It creates many expressions of thanksgiving. It generates praise towards God. It increases obedience, on and on and on. It's an expression of our belief in the gospel. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. A word to those who struggle to receive. Some of you I know have a hard time receiving from others. Don't do that. Don't be selfish. 
Refusing to receive, I believe, is another expression of arrogance or conceit. Refusing to tell people your need is another expression. Now, granted, there may be a, a spot in there where you may say, no, I'm going to trust the Lord. Okay, now if it's a response to faith, I get it. But if it's not, it's arrogance. Don't be afraid to tell people. That's how we express our joy. It's by helping each other when we're in trouble. So do you see giving as a transaction or a spiritual act? You can give 23 and a third percent. We can give it all. Most importantly, the all represents the heart, not the dollar value. Are you generous? I can't answer the question. I think you are. But I want you to go home, and I want to invite you to go home and to ask that question. I asked you a couple weeks ago if you're greedy. This time I want you to go home and ask, Lord, am I generous? Do you love the Lord that much? Do you believe so convinced that he will care for you that you have nothing to worry about? You could literally give it all away, and the Lord promises to, to multiply that to go beyond what you had. You cannot give the Lord. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward for the offering. I'm going to close with one story. I mentioned this little book to you. It's a great little read if you haven't read it. Randy Alcorn, The Treasure Principle, Unlocking the Secret of Joyful Giving. You can get one right out the welcome counter. So this is a story. How many of you have seen Schindler's List? If you haven't seen it, it's a movie worth seeing. At the end of the movie Schindler's List, there's a heart-wrenching scene in which Oscar Schindler... Who bought, who bought from the Nazis the lives of many Jews. He looks at his car and his gold pen and he regrets that he didn't give more of his money and possessions to save more lives. Schindler had used his opportunity far better than most, but in the end, he longed for a chance to go back and make better choices. Unbelievers have no second chance to relive their lives, this time choosing Christ. Guess what? Christians also get no second chance to live life over, this time doing more to help the needy and invest in God's kingdom. We have one brief opportunity, a lifetime on earth, to use our resources to make a difference. John Wesley said, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Missionary C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Five minutes after we die, we'll know exactly how we should have lived. But God has given us his word so that we don't have to wait to die to find out. And he's given us his spirit to empower us to live that way now. Ask yourself, five minutes after I die, what will I wish I would have given away while I still had the chance? I'm not trying to manipulate you with a story. I'm trying to give you ways to think about this. Be generous, be cheerful sacrificial. Let me pray for you. Father, I would just like to say on, on behalf of these people, Lord, thank you for their generosity. Lord, you know if any of them need to work on it, I don't. Thank you for their generosity. Bless them richly, Lord. Supply their needs so they can continue to be generous and multiply it even more. Bless their businesses. Bless, Lord, the way they conduct life. The things that they do to earn money. Bless them, Lord. But thank you for their generosity to our church. In Jesus' name, amen.